I love that old chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that's my prayer. That's just I just want us to see Jesus more clearly. Each and every one of us to to come out of here this morning knowing that we not only know more about him, but more importantly that we see him, that we know him more because of our time together. And you know, the, the best thing we can do to, to do that is to get into God's word because that's what it's all about. It's, a, it's all about revealing Jesus to us and, and no place more than, than where we're at right now. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at that, that final portion of what we've been talking about, this, this amazing triad of miracles that, that Luke has, has organized together for us here in, in his gospel account there in chapter 8, in Luke chapter 8. Now, I, I just I want to remind you of where we've been. I've said it's a triad of miracles and if you remember the first one two weeks ago, starting back in verse 22 of chapter 8, was where Jesus was out in the boat with his disciples and a, a huge and vicious storm rolls in. And the disciples think they're about to die when Jesus gets up and with a word. Did you catch that with a word? Just by, by saying a word brings it all to a stop. And the, the violent waves and the howling wind are instantaneously replaced with a peaceful calm. Amazing. And then they, they get to the, to the shore on the other side. They're, they're traveling across from the Jewish side now to the Gentile side. And, and then last week we picked up in verse 26 and we went on from there and we saw how Jesus was met on the shore by this man who was possessed by a bunch of demons. So many that he referred to himself as legion. Legion referring to five to 6,000 Roman soldiers. And so here is this man who is overwhelmed with evil. And again, Jesus merely speaks. He states the command, and this man is free. He is free, and he is restored to his right mind. And he, he has given back to him his life, and, and not just his old life, but a new and abundant life, knowing the Savior. And now this morning, this morning we get to look at the third uh, part of this triad of miracles, and it's a daily double. We actually get to see two today. And so this morning as we close out chapter 8, we're going to see Jesus and not only heal a woman who has unsuccessfully sought after healing for 12 long, desperate years, but then we're also going to see him restore life to a 12-year-old little girl who has just died. It's an amazing triad. You think back when, when Jesus calmed that storm, how clear it was to see that there, there was no circumstance that could come upon us, no storm that can blow in that is too terrible for Jesus not to be able to set it right. 
And then last week we saw this, this, this man freed from these demons and we realized that there is no evil too horrific that Jesus cannot free us from it. And now this morning, this morning we get a look at, at these last two miracles and these two desperate, hopeless situations. And what we're going to see is that there is no situation that is truly hopeless when Jesus is involved. Because if Jesus is there, there is always hope. And all of this, all of this, very plainly, it's all there, not just to impress us and not just to show us the neat things that Jesus can do, but to show us who he is to show us who Jesus is, that he is God in human flesh, that he is absolutely sovereign. In other words, he holds all authority. In fact, he is the ultimate authority, that he is almighty, that he holds all power, that there is nothing outside of his grasp. Well, our passage for this morning is as I said in Luke chapter eight, and we're gonna pick up in verse 40. So I'm gonna invite you to do this. Will you turn there? Open your Bible to Luke chapter eight. We're gonna begin in verse 40 and go through the end of the chapter. I'm gonna invite you to stand. I'll read the passage and I just ask that you follow along in your Bible. Luke chapter eight, again, beginning in verse 40. Here's what Luke writes. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. Uh, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all that she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, because they knew she was dead. 
So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that we are together, that you have promised that you are here with us, that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. And so, Lord, we ask as we look at your word that you would speak to us from it, that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we would understand and receive what it is that you would say. And we invite you, Lord, to apply this to us personally, individually. Speak to us in this time, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, when we think of miracles being performed, well, that's how we think of it, as a miracle being performed. We think of it in the context as some sort of grand display that is, it is put on in order to win over the admiration of the crowds. And yet here in Luke chapter 8, that isn't how Jesus does it. And think about these miracles. First, Jesus calms the storm out in the middle of the lake with only his disciples as witnesses. And then he, he frees this man from the legion of demons, but he does it in Gentile territory where there would be few who would understand the significance of what it is that he has just done. And then Jesus heals this, this woman and he does it silently and secretly. In fact, no one would even know that it had taken place if Jesus didn't stop and call the woman out. And then Jesus raises a little girl from death to life. And though it had to be obvious what took place to everyone around, they knew she was dead and then Jesus came and then she was alive, yet he tells her parents that they can't tell anyone what happened. As if they wouldn't figure it out themselves. You see, Jesus clearly is not trying to gain bigger crowds. That isn't what this is about. He's not putting on a show. He does these things out of compassion for these hurting people. But notice this as well. The way he does these things is important as well. It points us to something too. You see, the way he does these things, it's aimed not at the crowds of people, but at his disciples themselves, the ones who when getting out of the boat after the storm, ask that question, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You see, Jesus does what it is that he does here in order to show them, and I would say to show us as well, who he is, to show us who he is, that he is truly God in human flesh. 
that he is worthy not only of of our worship, but he is worthy of our complete trust and our unconditional commitment and surrender to him. He's God. Well, let's take a look at what's happened. Verse 40 tells us that when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. And so if you remember, Jesus is now returning from the far side of the Sea of Galilee. He's coming back from Gentile territory, and he comes back to the city of Capernaum, as Mark tells us, and there he is greeted by the crowds of people. Uh, but Luke points out that it isn't just crowds of people. There is a specific person who's very anxious to see Jesus. Look at verse 41. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. The leader of Capernaum's synagogue certainly would have known who Jesus was. Certainly, he would have not only heard Jesus teach, probably he had heard him teach numerous times, and likely, by this point, he would have thought Jesus to be a bit of a radical, if not a problem causer or even a lawbreaker. And yet, he also would have heard, if not have seen, that Jesus could heal that he could heal. After all, it was in that synagogue there in Capernaum that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. It was there in Capernaum that Jesus had healed the paralytic who was lowered through the roof. So whether he approved of Jesus or not, when his own little girl was sick, when her condition became critical, he went to Jesus because he knew that Jesus could heal. And he was willing to ask him, no, to beg him to come and to heal his little girl. Actually, it, it seems that it was even more intense than that. You see, Matthew chapter 9 tells us about two other events that actually took place uh, after Jesus returned to Capernaum, uh, but before he meets up with Jairus. First, Jesus healed that paralytic, the, the one who had been lowered through the roof. And much to the chagrin of the Pharisees, uh, before, he for, before he healed that man of his paralysis, he also forgave him of his sin. And that was a problem for them because only God can forgive us our sin. And so very clearly, the religious leaders knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. And then, and then, Jesus called Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor to his own people, to become one of his closest disciples. And then again, much to the irritation of the religious folks, Jesus dined with Matthew and all of his tax collector and sinner friends. And guys, that's the setting. That's the moment. 
When Jairus comes, when this leader of the synagogue comes to Jesus and bows at his feet, it's in front of a crowd of sinners and traitors. I'm sure Jairus did not like that. But he was not going to let anything stop him. He, he was not going to let anything keep his little girl from having the healer come to her. She was dying. And so he would humble himself. And he would fall at Jesus' feet. He would do whatever it took. And you know, his humility, it seems to pay off. And Jesus agrees immediately to come to heal this little one. And so they, they go, they depart, and, and this tremendous crowd goes with them. Part way through verse 42, while he was going, the crowds were, were nearly crushing him. But, but then something unexpected happens as Jairus leads the way, verse 43, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any. She approaches from behind. She reaches out and she touches the end of Jesus's robe. And instantly, her bleeding is stopped. You see, hidden in this crowd is a nameless woman who, because of the nature of her malady that she had suffered from for 12 long years, she was considered unclean. She had been an outcast from her community and from her family. Oh, she had sought help again and again, going to doctor after doctor, spending all that she had. And as a result, Mark tells us, she only got worse. Hopeless. A hopeless situation. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he does things that no one has done. And so, following the superstition of that day, uh, the believing that a, a holy man's power resided in the edge of his robe, she comes up behind Jesus. She reaches out and she touches the edge of Jesus's robe. And amazingly, Miraculously, instantaneously, and invisibly, she is healed. And no one knows the difference. But Jesus does. And he stops. He stops. And in, in the midst of this pressing crowd, he asks, who touched me? And when they all deny it, Peter says, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and, and pressing against you. So here is Jesus in the middle of this traveling mosh pit when he stops and he says, hey, someone touched me. Who was it? Who touched me? And everyone around him, all of whom touched him, denied it. No, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I didn't touch you. It just looked like I touched you. <laughs> you may have felt like I touched you, but I did not actually touch you. They all say, not me. And then Peter looks around and goes, this is ridiculous. We're all touching you. 
We're all touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? And so in 46, Jesus begins to explain. He says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Jesus says, I'm not just talking about someone rubbing up against me. Uh, what I'm saying is that someone has reached out and on purpose, they have reached out to touch me, wanting to be healed by me. And they were. Think about that for just a moment. There were many in that crowd who were close to Jesus. Now, there were a bunch who touched him again and again. But only one was healed. Only one was healed. Only one reached out to Jesus in faith. Dear friends, please understand this. Being around Jesus is different from reaching out in faith on purpose to be in contact with him. It is one thing to believe that Jesus is God. It's something else entirely to submit yourself to him as God. Those are different things. It's one thing to know about Jesus, maybe even to know a lot about him, but it's an entirely different thing to know him. So friend, what about you? What about you? Are you close to Jesus or are you in contact with him? Do you know about him or do you know him? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says that on that day, speaking of the time of the end, at the end of all things, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, they will recognize that, that he is God. Their theology will be correct. He says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those should be horrific words in our ears. Absolutely horrifying. Because you see, it is, a, it is very much possible to be a part of the Christian world, to be at church and around church, to be with Christians and to live as a Christian without actually coming to know Christ yourself. That is why Jesus does what he does here. That is why he draws this woman out of the crowd. That is why even though she had become fully healed, he stops everything. And he calls her out. You see, Jesus wanted to be far more than just her physical healer. 
He wanted to be her savior, to truly be her Lord. What he wants is real relationship with her, with me, with you. Look at how she responds. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she was discovered, discovered, she'd been discovered. There was this, this being laid bare in a sense. Isn't that often why we hold back? Isn't that often why we will try to stay in the background? It's sometimes an issue of shame. It's, it's not wanting to be exposed to the possibility of rejection. This woman knew rejection, didn't she? 12 years of rejection. It was much safer for her to be in the crowd, to reach out, and to be healed, and to sneak back into the crowd and not face the possibility of being rejected yet again. Jesus isn't satisfied with that. And so he calls her out. It says, when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. She was good. She was good with being secretly healed. She would have liked to have stayed invisible and ignored. But Jesus wanted more than just her physical healing. He wanted her healing to be more well-known than was her uncleanness. He wanted her acceptance to absolutely overwhelm her rejection because he cared not only about her physical health but just as much about her wounded heart. Jesus wanted her to know that she was loved, that she was valued, she was accepted. So he stopped. And Mark tells us she told him everything. Twelve years worth of everything. I think that was a long story. And Jesus listened. He listened and he heard her. That's good to know, isn't it? that Jesus listens, that he cares to hear your story, and that he invites you to come to him and to bring your burdens, those things that burden your heart, those things that you carry that just make you ache. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can bring it 
all to the Savior. And not just the, the practical reality of maybe a physical healing or, or of our eternal salvation, but the healing of our hearts. He desires that we bring it all to him so that he might hear us and heal us. And don't miss, don't miss verse 48. Don't miss what Jesus does there because it's so easy to miss. Look at what he calls her. This one who has been an outcast, this one who was considered unclean, this one who was rejected by everyone else, Jesus' daughter, daughter, you're mine. You're mine. I claim you, Jesus says. You belong to me. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, Jesus doesn't call anyone else daughter except this woman. Now, her theology was a mess, okay? It was a hot, stinking mess. She acted on outright superstition. But, and don't miss this, she put her rather confused faith in Jesus. She put her faith in the right place. And so it was enough. It was, now, I'm not saying that you should continue on in your life with confused theology. No, no, no we need to do that work of, of drawing close and letting him straighten out our bad theology because we all have plenty of it. But I want you to understand this. He took her as she was, and he loved her. She put her faith in him, and that was enough. Now, remember, all of this took place while Jesus was en route to Jairus' house to heal his little girl who was teetering on the edge of death. I, I can't imagine Jairus being anything other than on edge, anxious, stressed, ready to burst, he is in a terrible situation. His little girl is dying. And the only one who can help her has become distracted. Jesus has been pulled off course. He has been diverted into this unclean woman's endless story. And I'm sure to, to Jairus, it feels like an endless loop. And he's just wanting to tell the lady, cut to the end, get to the end. He must have been getting more and more anxious. And then he saw them. He saw the servants coming from his own house. And he saw the look on their faces. And he knew. He knew what was coming. Look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and they said, your daughter's dead. It's done. 
it's over. Don't bother the teacher anymore. A crushing blow. His treasure, his child, she's gone, she's dead. I can't imagine Jairus' devastation. He, he had done everything he could. He'd humbled himself. He'd begged this radical rabbi healer to come. He'd convinced him. But now, now it was too late. He'd lost everything. Or so he thought. Look at verse 50. When Jesus heard it, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Only believe. And she will be saved. Jairus' servants understood reality. They, they understood how life goes. And when the little girl was dead, they knew it was done. It was over. Hope had died. They told Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Because once someone's dead, there's nothing that a teacher can do for them. But you see, Jesus wasn't just a teacher. What Jairus didn't know, what his servants had not yet comprehended, is that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a radical rabbi. And because of that, Jesus saw this, this situation so very differently than those all around him. You see, from Jesus's perspective, yes, the little girl had died, but that didn't change anything. Death wasn't something that he couldn't handle. Really, nothing had changed that should cause them to give up that should cause them to suddenly despair. No more so than when she had first had a little bit of a head cold. Only believe. This was no bigger than that for Jesus. How hard that must have been for Jairus. You know, honestly, I am in awe of his faith. I might have laid down on the ground and just cried in the dust. I might have started screaming at the old woman. Jesus himself. But Jairus, Jairus continues on. He continues the walk to his own home. I wouldn't have wanted anyone with me. But Jairus continues on. It's in verse 51. After he came to the house, Jesus let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone 
was crying and mourning for her. But Jesus said, stop crying because she is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him because they knew that she was dead. You see, Jesus really did see this situation differently from those around him. The servants, the mourners, even Jairus, Jesus' own disciples, they all saw clearly that this little girl was dead. Because she was. But what is death to Jesus? What is death to the one who breathed life into all of creation? You see, from God's perspective, no one really dies, at least not in the, the sense that we think about it, and no one ceases to exist. From God's perspective, we simply transition from this life to the next. And so it seems that Jesus simply calls this little girl back into this life, which if I were her would make me very cranky. I would be bitter against my parents the rest of my life. I would make them sorry they ever had a teenager. I mean, come on, I was in heaven. I was in heaven and you called me back. Verse 54, so he took her by the hand and he called out, child, get up. And her spirit returned. Oh, she was dead. And she got up at once. And then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astounded. But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. What a strange day. What a strange day for everyone involved. An anonymous woman, her life is given back to her 12 years after beginning this journey of living death. Meanwhile, a leader in the community loses and then regains his 12-year-old little girl. What an amazing day. But you know, in a sense, no one really got what they wanted. I mean, what Jairus wanted was for his sick daughter to be healed. He did not want his dead daughter to be raised. And the woman, uh, the woman wanted to be healed and then stay hidden, not to be exposed. They didn't get what they wanted. But do you notice that they got exactly what they needed? They got the thing that they needed more than anything else. They got far more than what they were asking for. You see, Jairus learned that Jesus was far more than a healer. Jairus learned that Jesus was the source of all hope, the giver of all life, that he was God himself come in human flesh. He was the savior. And this woman, this woman not only got physically healed, she was loved. She was restored uh, back into relationship with the God that now she knew loved her and the community she lived in. They knew for a fact that this one that they had rejected for over a decade, that she was clean, she was healed, 
that she could be welcomed back in. Oh, and Jesus' disciples, they got what they needed to. They got the answer to their question. Uh, that question they asked as they were getting out of the boat there down by the Sea of Galilee, when they asked each other, who then is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? There's so much we can take away from this. There's so much that could, could speak to our hearts. Let me, let me focus on two things. First, many of us, just like this nameless woman, we want to sneak in, get a little bit of Jesus, and then sneak back out the door. The Lord wants far more than that for us. What the Lord wants for us is an all-consuming relationship with us. He wants a closer than a vine with its branches connection between him and us. What he wants is a life-changing, transforming, never-be-the-same-again relationship between you and him. What he wants as well is for you to connect with his family and for us as living bricks to be built together into his building, to be connected one with another. First John chapter three says this, see what great love the Father has given us. Here's how that great love is pictured for us. John says that we should be called God's children. I think the most powerful moment in this whole episode is when Jesus looks at this rejected woman and he calls her daughter. Because you see, he not only wants to change her eternal destiny, he wants to change her present identity. He wants to change not only where she's going to end up when all of this ends up, he wants to change who she is, how she sees herself, even in the present. And he claims her. He claims her. I was always the skinny kid who got picked last. And literally, they would sometimes argue about whose turn it was to take me in picking teams. They had no idea the scars I would bear. <laughs> Jesus picks her. He takes her. He claims her as his own. And that is what he, he wants with you. He does not want a surface experience. But he wants a connection with you that is deep and abiding transforming. Secondly, like Jairus, sometimes the way we interact with the Lord is as if he were a genie in a bottle. He were a God with a small g whom we could direct and instruct on exactly what it is that he needs to do for us in this present situation. Dear friends, 
He is not a cosmic vending machine that dispenses help for whatever situation we happen to be in when we are over our heads. He is our creator, our savior, our God. He is the one whose glory causes all of heaven to bow down before him and to cry out again and again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. He is glorious and he is worthy of all our worship and all our praise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for the things that it shows us. And God, I ask that you would you would work these things into our hearts. God, that you would take these truths and cause them, Lord, not to not to just sit on the surface of our hearts and minds. But Lord, help us to embrace them and to receive them so that you might bear fruit within us, that you would change us by the work of your Spirit. God, that we would not know more about you, but we would know you more that we would know you for who you are, our God, our King, our Savior, almighty, holy, majestic, worthy of all of our worship, that you might be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we get to share in the Lord's table together. The elements are arranged in a way that might be a little odd for you. Um, we have two cups, one nested inside of the other. In the bottom layer is the bread nugget. Okay, that's what, that's what they are, the little pellet of communion bread. They're not quite as bad as the wafers. Um, and then in the top layer is the juice. So um, on your own time, during our closing time of worship, if you belong to Christ, then this is for you. And I invite you to come and to, to take one packaged unit, though they are not prepackaged, um, and then to remember the Lord's death in your place, in your own time as we worship. You know, the reason we do this is because it's real. It's real. Christ truly came. These things we read are not stories. They're not myths, they're not fables, they're not fairy tales, they are history. Our Savior truly went to a cross, not a pretty cross on a wall, but an ugly, horrid cross on a hill. And there his life was expended. There he was executed to pay the penalty for my sin and for yours. you belong to Christ, then he has given us this as a way to remember his death until he comes. And so as we worship, you will be welcome to come and to take of the cups 
and to partake of the bread and of the juice to remember the reality of his body and his blood sacrificed for us. You know, we use real bread and real juice because they are things we can touch and we can ingest. Just as that bread and that juice is real, it is not fictional. So to our Savior is real, and his death in our place is not fictional. And just as that bread and that juice is ingested into our bodies and becomes a part of us, so too Christ promises that those who surrender to him, that he indwells us as we abide in him and he abides in us. And we can remember that through these realities. Let's pray and let's worship. Father, thank you for this time. Focus our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I pray for any who, who don't yet know you, that they would surrender to you today. God, that they would just simply, where they're at, ask for your forgiveness and surrender themselves to you. God, that they might walk with you, that they might know you more and more each day. Draw them close to yourself, Lord. Draw us each close to you, not only in this time of worship, but God, as we go throughout our lives. We thank you for this time. We pray it in Jesus' name.